Welcome to Telford Elim Sunday Podcast. We are so glad you could join us. To keep up to date with all that's going on, please go to telfordelim.com. I do hope you enjoy today's talk. Last week I was speaking about generosity of spirit and how important it is. And I'd like to continue that today and continue to look at that. So, Brian Houston says, generosity is a lifestyle. So generosity is a lifestyle. It's something that we actually do. We have to practice it. We have to continue with it, and then eventually it becomes part of who we are. Okay, so sociologists tell us that there are basically four different groups of people. There's the personal. That's the two to three people. That's the nuclear family. The two to three people, and we will connect with two or three people at a very special level. And then there's what they call the intimate. That's the four to 12. That's extended family size. But we will connect with the four to the 12. And then it talks about the social. And that's an extended family size. So that's 10 to 35 people or thereabouts. So that's the extended. And then it talks about the public space, which is the great household, 36 to 80 plus, way up to hundreds and hundreds. But that's the social setting. So you have these four different groups. But each of these groups meets a different relationship need within us. The first two, the personal and intimate, more like family. And so that's where your family. So in a church setting, that maybe be a prayer triplet that you pray together with a couple of other people. Or it might be a life group or eventually a connect group, whichever way we're going to in the future. But it's something like that, where there's a, a weekly family get-together. And then, of course, the three to the four are more like the social. So that's the extended family size. So that's getting into a bigger setting. You can't do this in your home. You need a bigger space to do it. So you've got both of those. But I wonder what generosity looks in each of those different settings. Generosity looks like with the two or three with the 4 to 12, with the 10 to the 35, or out in the, the social setting beyond that. So what does generosity look like? I think in each of those settings, it look different. It look very different in each of those settings. But the important thing is that we recognize that God is calling us to be generous in every setting of life. So how do you do this? It's interesting, on the front of your newsletter, you have our vision statement and our mission statements. The vision statement simply says, following Jesus inspires us to dream big and attempt the impossible. So that's big, isn't it? But following Jesus inspires us to dream big and attempt the impossible. But I want to say to you, Jesus inspires us to be generous and to live with a generous attitude to life. But it also, the mission statement says, developing a whole life center with a heart for the community, where people meet God through Jesus, find life, and make friends. That's very much that social idea. But also a church that is willing to change and take risks in order to partner with God in building his church in Telford and the world. And so there's a risk as we step out and move forward in that. There's a big risk. But God is calling us to be generous as we do so. It's so easy to want everything on our terms. To say, 
well, I'll get involved as long as it's on my terms. But the, the cost and the heart of discipleship is we get involved in things on God's terms. And at the basis of God's terms is the law of harvest. Whatever you sow, you will reap. But also the law of reciprocity. This idea that if you are generous, then generous things start happening back to you. And we're going to pick this up and explore it a little bit further. But in order to partner with God in building this church in Telford and the world, we need to be generous in our provision of our time, our finances, our resources, our spiritual ministry. All of those are really important to be generous with. So let me read from 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to read verses 5 to the end. So there's a, there's a ministry of giving that's going to take place. Paul's getting a collection together from the church of Corinth to send to Jerusalem, to those in need in Jerusalem. And that's the basis of why he writes. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one give grudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Quote from Psalm 112. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. It's interesting that the harvest is generosity in us, which is interesting. We often want a harvest of something back, but he says, actually, a greater harvest of generosity in us. Then we continue, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace of God that God has given to you. Thank God for his indescribable gift that's too wonderful for words. Amen. I mean, God will bless the reading of his word. It's interesting here in these two, the two Greek words. In verse 5, there's a word called eulogia. And it's the sort of the, the word that we, is the basis of what we would call a eulogy. It's the eulogy that you would give to somebody's life at a funeral or at a memorial service. But it's a eulogy of their life. You speak well of their life. But it's used here. Prepare your generous gift beforehand. And what it basically means is sometimes a gift is given against, given against your will. It's given against the will of the one given. They think that they must, although they do not want to. So they believe that, well, I'm going to have to do this, but I don't really want to give it. 
That's not this word. It is a gift given out of a generous and loving heart. A gift or offering given from an act of the right motives. It's from the right motives. It isn't from the wrong motives. So this isn't a begrudging gift. This is actually a generous gift that's given from a willing heart. And then in verse 12, there's also another word, which is liturgia. And we get, again, we get the word liturgy from it, whereby you go through certain things. But nevertheless, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. So this service. But in Greek society, this was a noble word. It describes some who voluntarily paid an expense of the state. So thus in Paul's use, it denotes a voluntary offering given to the household of God, but also which should be received as a privilege. In a sense, it's our weekly tithe or offering to God, liturgia. But it was a noble word in Greek society, a really noble word, because you were being generous. There was a need and without anybody asking you, you just said, I'm going to step up to the plate and do something about it. And that's what Paul's saying about this weekly service, this thing that we are to give, our tithes, our offerings. It's actually something, instead of being said, people saying to you, you need to give to God, you say, there's God's house, there's God's work, I'm going to give. And you just step up to the plate and you do it. And that's the sort of the idea behind that word. Two really great words eulogia and also liturgia. So in verse 6, Paul uses the example of a farmer sowing a field. A farmer doesn't think of the seed, he thinks of the possible crop. He sows generously knowing that that is the way to get a bumper harvest. So he doesn't go around with one seed and places it there and thinks about all the seed he's saving because that's not what a farmer does. So he doesn't take the one seed and say, wow, look at that, I've saved all these other seeds for a rainy day. The farmer sows the seed because he knows that the more he sows, now you can, then the better the harvest. I was a farmer and I've sown grass seed and I've sown all sorts of seed. And there's one thing for sure, if you put one in, it's not going to make much of a field of grass. You have to put a lot of seed in. And that is the idea. In verse 7, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. It's a matter of personal choice. You make a choice and then you do it. If you're worried about what you will have left, you will not give generously. If you consider the harvest and the benefits that will be gained, you will give generously. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't love a grudging giver or a reluctant giver or a giver who's been compelled because he thinks vanity gets to him and he thinks, well, if I don't give and they're giving, it doesn't look too good. He gives because he loves to give. Do you love to give? Now, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that right? And we all like to receive good things. And if your love language is receiving, giving and receiving gifts, then that love language is very important to you. But in God's eyes, it's not what you give that matters. It's always what you've left over. So he doesn't necessarily look at the size of the gift you've given. He looks what's left. Remember Jesus with the widow? 
she handed in, put into the treasury box, the smallest coin possible. And yet Jesus didn't look at the size of the gift. He looked what she had left. And she had nothing left. She gave everything that she had. She didn't hold anything back. If you consider the harvest and the benefits, you will give generously. Because God does love a, general, a cheerful giver. In other words, God says about the one who sees the possibilities and dreams big in their giving. That's my son and that's my daughter. God gets really interested whenever you put your hand in your pocket or put something in. He gets really interested because he knows what you take out of that pocket, metaphorically, speaks a lot about where your heart is and where your treasure is. If you go in and you, you know where sometimes I used to pick up offerings in my home church and you know the people who go really deep into their pockets and then into the bag or into the thing and they put it in really so it doesn't make much noise when it drops. You know that there's a few brown coins there or possibly a few silver coins. But actually, God sees that. This is the law of reciprocity. This idea that reciprocity, that whenever you become generous, then God starts to become generous to you. Many of us live with a stingy God because we are stingy. Many of us live with a God who's tight-fisted because we are tight-fisted. As you are, God is back to you. Not good. Now, of course, God works with grace. So our salvation isn't given stingily to us. But nevertheless, we are talking about something more than that. Perhaps you have been a prodigal running away from giving. The Father is calling you home. But the wonderful thing, I read something that Ian Coffey said, who one spoke at the Shropshire Hope prayer breakfast many years ago, I think in 2012. And he says, God calls the prodigals homes, the prodigals home, in order to send them back out as good Samaritans. We have this image that when the prodigal comes home, that's it. The father's happy, keeps them close to the nest. But actually, in God's mind, God brings the prodigals home to send them back out as good Samaritans to carry his love and his grace out with them. Perhaps you're a prodigal who's been running from giving. God is calling you home, but he wants to turn you into one like Christ and to send you out as a good Samaritan. That's something different. He does want to send you out. In verse 8, God is not stingy. If you determine to live a generous lifestyle, he will provide all you need with such abundance that you will have plenty left over to give away. Or better, to sow with the expectation of creating a wonderful harvest. So this is what God is looking for. He's looking for people who will give. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is not a prosperity gospel message, but God's heart is generous, and God does give way beyond what we can imagine. But you have plenty left over to give away, or better, to sow with the expectation of creating a wonderful harvest. In verse 9, he picks up about the idea that, as the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. There's something about this that actually brings not only blessing, but it goes beyond that. 
The practice of generosity and giving time, your finances, your resources, your spiritual ministry will be a blessing to others and yourself. Because that's what God calls us to be generous in, not just in finance, but also with our time, our resources, and our spiritual ministry. Many of us are walking in a place with little faith or little spiritual power because we are not generous with it. And so whenever we see a need, our hearts are closed up and we don't open our hearts and don't minister out of the power of the Spirit. I am really convinced that there are so many people whose spiritual life is not what it should be simply, not because they're not praying, but because they're not living a generous lifestyle. And because of that, then everything runs dry. They dry up. There's something about moving generously in the power of God that opens up your spiritual life. I believe also that there are people who have lost the fire of God in their lives because they have not opened their hearts and their hands and been generous with their spiritual gifts, with their time, their resources, and their finances. I really believe that. I wonder, do you believe that? Perhaps you're in a place of blockage where you don't know how to move forward. And it seems there's a... I want to say to you that one of the spiritual indicators that breaks through that place is generosity. Generosity breaks down barriers and opens up things. God provides the seed, the wealth, the abilities, and the service. Because remember, your service is also something you can be generous with. He gives the increase, bread to eat. He gives seed to the sower and bread as a word to the reaper. But more than that, he gives fresh bread and living water. Fresh bread living water so this law of reciprocity reciprocity Luke 6 38 give and you will receive your gift will return to you in full pressed down shaken together to make room for more running over and poured into your lap the amount you give will determine the amount you get back so that's Luke 6 38 that's at the heart of it on the farm years ago again Whenever we'd be drawing silage, if you had a long draw from the field to wherever you were going to tip the load, if it was a quite a long draw, then whenever you get the trailer full, you'd go and find a bump in the, tra- in the field and drive over it a few times because it shook the load down. And then you go back onto the harvester and you'd top up a bit more. There's something about it. God says that's what it's like. So whenever you heal that load, it was always much bigger than the ordinary load that you just drove out of the field with. But that's what God says here. It's like it's, it's shaken together, it's pressed down, it's, it's bigger than you can imagine when you do this. I'll read it again, Luke 6.38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to re- make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Whether forgiveness money, time, resources, or spiritual ministry. Whatever you give, God is no man's debtor, no woman's, what woman's debtor. So God sows his grace in, in a word into our lives, but also our service, our finances, our talents, our time, and abilities. He's able to use those to sow and to bring a good harvest. As we 
Sure, these we reap a harvest of generosity. Our service, our time, our finances, our resources. Verses 11 and 12 is a ministry of giving. Always being enriched to always be generous. This generosity results in glory and thanks to God as a source, but also the needs of believers in the church supplied are met. And then verses 13 to 15. Giving is a step of obedience to the gospel of Christ. It leads to good fruit. Christ is God's indescribable gift. So how can we be generous to God, his church to the poor? How can we be a good steward and a good Samaritan? Perhaps it means for you that you begin to tithe to the local storehouse, to your local church. Perhaps that's it. Now, of course, the tithe was 10%. But perhaps you need to start somewhere a little bit less, maybe with 2 or 3% to start off with, just to start to break that stingy nature, start to break it and to open yourself up. So rather than starting with 10%, maybe you need to start with 2 or 3% and start to give regularly to God. One of the big things about church is we do a gifted scheme in church, which is really amazing because if you pay tax, if you have a gifted number and you're registered then the church actually receives back from the tax man quite a chunk of money that comes back to us if you want more information then you can see myself or even Bernard or Michelle this morning because Liz is not around but if you would like more information about gift aid then please speak to us it's really important if you pay a tax but in the context of the personal to the two or three people those two or three people that you perhaps pray together as a prayer triplet or perhaps are really close to you, how can you be more generous to them? And how can you together be more generous to others? What about to the intimate family, the connector life group? How can you be more generous to your life group or hopefully in September to one of your connect groups if you join a connect group? How can you be generous in that setting? What about beyond that? How can we be generous? What about to the church itself? Perhaps it means volunteering your time or your service. Perhaps it means tithing your money. Perhaps it means offering your spiritual ministry, your resources and gifts for the benefit of God's people. These are some of the things where generosity comes. So, generosity. I want to ask you, are you a tight-fisted, stingy person? Are you an open-handed, generous-hearted person? Who are you? Because if you're this person, I can guarantee that you may be okay at this moment, but I will come guarantee that you will start to dry up spiritually. You will never step into all that God has for you. If you live a life like that, God gives stuff to us, pressed down, shaken over, and running over. So pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And he pours it into our lap. That's the sort of person I want to be. Uh, Joan and I, from we were married at 19, which was many years ago, uh, we've always practiced tithing. We've always given 10% of what we've earned. And at times we've given far more than that, as God has guided and directed us. But it's been a principle we have enshrined in our marriage. We've always done it. And we've also always done it to the local church. 
because we reckon that's where God has placed us and that's where God calls us to give. And if there's anything else that needs to be given, we give it over that. But we always do it to the local church. It's been a principle that we have lived by in our marriage. It's one of those amazing principles. And I believe it has blessed us, it's brought good things to us, and it's made us generous of heart. I want to ask you, is that who you are? Because I believe that's what God calls all of his children to. It's so easy to make excuses. And it's so easy to say there's this issue or that issue and there's other reasons why not. But even if you, unlike us, give 10 or more percent as we do, you can start with 2 or 3%. Just start and prove God in it. It is something to do. It not only enriches you, but it also brings blessing to the house of God and also enables the house of God to do more and more to bring glory and honor to Christ. There's something about it. But remember, it's also your time. For some of you, your time is really important. And be generous with your time. You're volunteering. How can you give of your service to God? It helps to break the me culture when it's all about me. Volunteering is a really good way of breaking the kingdom of self down and bringing the, ushering in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. And finally, what about your spiritual ministry? When's the last time you saw somebody in need and you said, I'm going to pray for you? Or, well, actually, properly, may I pray for you? With the expectation that God's going to actually answer your prayer. Because whenever you pray for somebody, I want to say to you, sometimes they don't get healed when you pray for a healing. But God starts to work in their lives. Something changes. Because when we pray, things change. So when are you doing that? It's one of the things that through Bernard and the whole prayer ministry team were trying to encourage in the church, that through the sermons and through church that people get used to coming forward for ministry and prayer. But we don't just want to have it connected to church. We want you to go out and do it around the streets and around your families. Pray for others. These are really important things. So may God take these words and may he use them. Thank you for listening to Telford Elim's Sunday podcast. To keep up to date, go to telfordelim.com or find us on social media.